Let us turn in the Word of God again to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And there are a number of verses here from verse 4 uh, down to uh, verse 12 and beyond uh, that uh, we will uh, mention and refer to this evening. Uh, but let us read verse 6 again. Galatians 1 verse 6, the Word of God says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Amen. May the Lord bless uh, the reading afresh of this verse. And as we come to consider his word, may he presence himself with us, and may we know much of his help, his blessing, as uh, we consider his word for our hearts this evening. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy truth. We thank Thee for the Scriptures. And we rejoice that here we have the truth of God. Here we have that message that Thou hast been pleased to reveal to us that we might believe and have eternal life. And Father, tonight as we come to Thy truth, as we come to this passage, we pray that Thou would give us a love for Thy gospel. Thou would give us that zeal for Thy truth. And as we consider Thy word this evening, may we be like those on the road to Emmaus, whose hearts burned within them when the Savior talked to them on the way. Father, may our hearts burn within us this evening because of Christ, to remember those who are in that spiritual need of trusting the Savior, of making sure of their own salvation. Father, draw them to thyself, we pray. And we ask that thy name would be glorified in all of these things. Give that help we need. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. In much of Christianity in today's society, there is a somewhat broad definition of what a Christian is. There are those who will say that a Christian is one who is a Roman Catholic, one who has, as we would see, no knowledge nor experience of trusting in Christ alone and being justified by Christ alone. Some will say that a Christian can be someone who knows something about the Bible, who seeks to be good living, who is faithful in attending church. Yet in reality, Christ is not their Savior, and they have never repented. A Christian can be someone brought up in a God-fearing family and resting upon the faith of others within the home. There are those who have lived their lives like that, like that. A Christian can be someone who lives in open rebellion to the laws of God and the moral law of God, but yet they still claim to be religious and to follow God. A Christian can be someone who claims to believe on Christ because they prayed a little prayer, yet there is no repentance within their life. There is no change. There is no evidence of salvation. A Christian can be the leader of the Anglican Church, the Archbishop of Canterbury, 
who in the funeral sermon for Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II just a few days ago failed to give a clear gospel exhortation to the world leaders who gathered for that service. To the estimated 37.5 million viewers in the UK, I have no idea how they get that figure. I don't understand it. That's what they say. And to the estimated 4 billion viewers worldwide, I don't know how they got that figure, but that's what they say. What an opportunity missed. What an opportunity missed. And of course, that sermon is on YouTube if you have a spur three or four minutes to listen to it. There are many, many definitions of what it is to be a Christian, many ideas of what it is to be one who has a belief in God. It is all so broad a definition today, but yet when we see the false gospel within so-called Christianity, it leads to false believers. It leads to a departure from the Word of God. And that thought of a false gospel has been much on my mind in recent days as we watched on with the rest of the world as the late Queen was mourned by society and by the Church of England. The Lord Jesus Christ referred in John 3 to how men and women can be saved. And what did He say? Ye must be born again. There must be this change within your life. There must be, as we look at other scriptures, uh, this repentance, this faith, this trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. God judges our identity as Christians by His standards, not by man's faulty definition of that term, not by some religious leader who decides to define Christianity himself, but Christianity is defined, and our identity as Christians are defined by God Himself in His Word. And in this world, the true gospel has been corrupted by men, so that, as we see what Paul says in verse 6, it is another gospel, another gospel, or a gospel which is not a gospel. For there is one true gospel that is defined by God Himself in His precious Word. And that's one of the thoughts we have this evening. There is one true gospel. One true gospel, or we could say because there is only one gospel, there, or because there is one true gospel, there is uh, only one gospel uh, in that sense. Uh, there is one gospel. All the other gospels, as Paul says here, this gospel that he's referring to is not a gospel. Not a gospel. And we need to understand that there is one gospel. For the professing church today is filled with many strange ideas regarding what salvation is, regarding what the gospel is. And the reality is that you and I need to be protected from such a false gospel. And in doing so, it is the duty of the church of Christ to proclaim the true gospel. And in the opening verses of Galatians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is dealing with a false gospel that is spread within this particular church. And we find the Apostle not merely introducing himself, but defending his apostleship and defending the truth that he is not, as it were, one man with a unique message to proclaim to this church, but rather he is a man of God, sent by God, 
after being taught by God to preach the Word of God to the members of this church and to tell them the true gospel of Christ. Verse 1 tells us, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. And therefore, the apostle is saying, in the midst of this confusion and this adherence to a different gospel, he's saying, my gospel is not my own idea. It's not the idea of other men. It came from God himself. And his purpose here is to point these believers back to the gospel that he preached to them. The gospel of Christ, the only true gospel. Grievous wolves had entered in. Those that we would refer to as Judaizers, who were they? They sought to place a fundamental importance and adherence to the ceremonies of Judaism alongside faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, in order to be saved, you needed Christ, but you also needed to be circumcised and adhere to other Jewish ceremonies. And that is the brief explanation. There's a Christ plus works gospel here, a faith plus works gospel. And therefore, as Paul defines it, a different gospel altogether, because the gospel of Christ requires uh, no other thing other than repentance and faith in Christ. In order to be saved, we repent and believe upon Him. We do not have to conform to a ceremony or circumcision or whatever it may be. Salvation is through faith in Christ. And of course, many, many Jewish converts, and I'm sure many others, would have been circumcised according to the old Jewish customs, but that was not essential for their salvation. Not essential. They were saved through Christ alone. Through Christ alone. Notice what verse 6 and verse 7 says. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And Paul here sets an exclusivity upon the gospel that he preached. This is the only gospel. This is the true gospel. These doctrines that you are adhering to, this is something different. This is a gospel that is not a gospel. A different gospel altogether. And this false doctrine was not merely something the church may have professed to believe in, but it was believed in personally by those within the church as it spread. And Paul here is not merely instructing the church leaders to fix their doctrine, but he's speaking to the entire church body to look at their doctrine, to look at what they believe, and to bring it in line again with the words of Scripture. And as he does so, he clearly defines for them the surest protection from a false gospel. The surest protection from a false gospel. And that is our title tonight, The Surest Protection from a false gospel. And when I was preparing this message, I had three points, 
And I was preparing it on the assumption that we all know what the gospel is. And therefore, when it came to defining what the gospel is, I was working and studying under the assumption we all know what the gospel is. And therefore, when I went to brush my teeth this evening, I thought, I have a fourth point. I need to explain what the gospel is. And so a funny thing happened on the way to church. I was sitting in the car, Bob was driving, and I was creating a new first point uh, to explain uh, some of the things. And this is what Paul does here as well in Galatians 1. Uh, Paul uh, does not assume they know what the gospel is. He defines some of the core beliefs of that gospel in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll come to that. Uh, but we're sitting at traffic lights, and I have a piece of paper out. I'm trying to write. I'm deep in thought in a world of my own. And then suddenly there's this acceleration. And I'm not too sure why, whether Bob was trying to earn the nickname Rocket Man or whether he was so eager to get to church. Uh, but if I mispronounce a word this evening in the thoughts that we have here, it's a result of my pen moving across the page at about seven or eight Gs as we accelerated down the road. But there are a number of thoughts here, very simple thoughts. And the first point that we have this evening is the doctrines of the only gospel must be believed by us. The doctrines of the only gospel must be believed by us. If we desire to be protected from a false gospel, not only at a church level, but at a personal level, then we must believe the doctrines of the only true gospel. And when we think of those doctrines, there is a simple explanation of the gospel. Of course, we could start right back at Genesis. God created the world. God created us. Man fell, and man then fell into depravity. We are depraved in the sight of God, totally and utterly depraved. Mankind has fallen into sin. That is why we need good news, because the fall and our fall into sin is the opposite of the gospel. It is bad news. And this sin has been passed upon all of us. The Word of God tells us very simply, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Word of God tells us that the wages of sin is death. And God's law has been broken by us. Why? Because that is our nature, our sinful nature that has been passed on because of Adam, passed on through the generations. Why is there so much darkness and violence and evil in this world? It's because of sin, because of sin. And God's wrath is upon sin. And that wrath is upon man's sin, and regardless of who man is, he is a sinner. Turn with me back to Galatians chapter 1, and we see something here regarding the apostle. The apostle speaks in verse 13 about his, about his conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And in Philippians chapter 1, I believe our brother referred to this morning, Paul it gives more detail about himself and his background and how he could glory in who he was and glory in his knowledge and glory in his background and glory in his religion. 
How if there was someone who could earn salvation because of holiness and godliness? He was the man. But yet we find he needed Christ. We find that despite his godly or his Jewish heritage, despite his religious background, he was a sinner. And Paul here is saying uh, that he profited in the Jews' religion, verse 14, above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Paul followed God and followed the Jewish system so much he sought to eradicate that which was a threat to it that which was against that religion, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what happened? God called him by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. And then Paul says he went and spent time with the Lord to learn of this gospel. But his life was changed. A man who lived despite a religious life, he was depraved and he was sinful. And there's a reminder to us all that no matter who we are, whether we are the high ranking in society, whether we are the lowest person in society, we're depraved and sinful and wicked in the sight of God. We need the gospel, the only true gospel, because God's wrath is upon us. The wages of sin is death, but then there is the love and the mercy and the grace of God, the atoning work of Christ upon the cross. This gospel uh, that Paul came to believe, and what a gospel it is that we who were dead in trespasses and sins, we who have no hope in this world, can be called the children of God, all because of Christ all because of Christ. Paul gloried in this gospel. Paul boasted in this gospel. Paul preached this gospel and was not ashamed of this gospel. He knew its power. He knew it was true. As he moved through uh, the early church, uh, what did he see? Conversion. After conversion, after conversion, he went to the city of Philippi. He saw the conversion of Lydia down by the riverside again, someone who was religious but knew not the saving power of Christ. He uh, came uh, into that city and there was this uh, girl who was possessed. What happened? The power of Christ set her free. They were cast in prison. What happened? They sang praises to God. There was the earthquake that released them. And the jailer was going to fall on his sword because he had failed in his solemn duty of protecting the prisoners, fearing that they had left. What happened? Paul said, fear not, for we are all here. He realized that great message, the message that they preached, the message they had just been singing about, the message about Christ the Messiah. It must be true. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And then he took them out of the prison. It's believed. He took them to his home. He cleaned their wounds. He cared for them. They were released then. Man whose life was changed by the power of God. We could go on and on and on, because the book of Acts gives us so many accounts of what God did through the ministry of Paul, that coming to this stage in Galatians 1, Paul has no doubt 
no doubt whatsoever, even on the basis of his own life, but regarding the lives of others, that the gospel is real, that the gospel is true, that the gospel has power, that Christ truly is the Savior of sinners. How marvelous that is. And as a result, Paul loved the gospel. Paul loved the gospel. Have you trusted in Christ this evening? When we consider the doctrines of the only gospel needing to be believed by us, have you believed those doctrines? Have you believed that you're a sinner? Have you believed that there is no hope for you outside of Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in the Savior, believing that He is the only way to the forgiveness of sins and eternal life for you? Dear believer, do you love these doctrines? Doctrines, truths that are real and truths that have changed your life entirely. How marvelous it is to be a child of God. How marvelous it is to know the doctrines of the only gospel. And Paul sets this out here, Galatians chapter 1, the verse 4. He gives his greetings, and then he speaks of Christ, and he says, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Let me say something here. I'm sure this church, some in this church, would have been thrilled to receive a letter from the Apostle Paul. But then, I'm sure there were those, and maybe because their views had changed because of this false gospel that they were promoting. Maybe they thought Paul wouldn't oppose it. Maybe some thought Paul would oppose it. I'm sure when this letter was read to the church, it would have been a very interesting meeting to be in. And what does the apostle say? After his greetings, he tells them what the gospel is. He tells them about the Christ of the gospel, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world as long as we obey the Jewish ceremonies. No. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ alone. It's all about Christ delivering us not through our works, not through our own effort, not through ceremonies. And Paul sets down here the doctrines of the only true gospel being focused upon Christ alone. He gave himself for us. He delivered us according to the will of God and our Father. Therefore, before he even moves any further, this gospel is of Christ alone. This gospel is of God. And I'm sure those that were concerned that their doctrine would be dealt with, well, Paul begins to set the scene very, very quickly. One of the ways in which we can protect ourselves from a false gospel is to know the doctrines of the only gospel, to believe those doctrines, to study them, to hold them close to our hearts. Because as we see in a moment, oh, it is so easy to move away from those doctrines. We have the doctrines of the only true gospel that must be believed by us. But then secondly, uh, we have the, true, the truth of the only gospel must matter to us. The truth of the only gospel must matter to us. And the apostle does something here. We said he outlines what the gospel is, uh, but then uh, he 
Also, it draws attention to the fact that they've been removed from this gospel. This gospel, the gospel of Christ, the only gospel, is something that matters to Paul. Why? Because of what we've just said. He's been redeemed by it. He's been saved by it. He's been delivered by it. And now he says, regarding this gospel, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. You've changed sides. You've transferred. You've perverted yourself from the side of Christ. I remember growing up, and our family uh, very much supported one particular uh, football team in England. I won't say what that team is, but there was another football team, and our family certainly wouldn't support that team. And I remember in the mid-90s, this other team were winning all the trophies. And the team that we supported, well, they weren't doing too well at all. And a lot of friends at school supported this other team. And I thought about the notion of switching sides. And it didn't last very long, but I'm sure uh, the reaction uh, from my family, it would have been very interesting if I had changed sides uh, because it would be unheard of. And my life might have been very different completely. Uh, but uh, that is a sport. That's one thing. And families and individuals can take it so serious, so serious, like it's the most important thing in the world, but it's not. Here we have the most important thing in the world. And here Paul is saying, you're of one side, the side of the king of kings, the side of the savior who's redeemed you and saved you and bought you with his own blood, the side of the true gospel, the only gospel. And you've changed sides. You've went to the other team. You've went to the opposing side. You've went to the opposing side. There's been a great change. And Paul is very much concerned about that because now there is this false doctrine that is coming into this church, this false doctrine that will work its work, this false doctrine that will cause problems, that will hinder the growth of believers, that perhaps will make some think all is well with their soul when the reality is that it is not. It is not. There's a great danger here, a great danger in today's religious society. As some uh, would say that if this church were a church today, well, it was still worshiping God. It was still going well. Uh, things seem fine. And then Paul comes in and tries to cause problems and tries to cause division and says to them that you're leaving the gospel and you're departing from it and you're walking away from it. And the cry goes up, be quiet. Let the church continue in peace. Don't disrupt it. Don't disrupt it. Go and write to some other church. Get out from among us. Don't you know that these things and doctrine divides? Oh, how today many would tell Paul to go on his way somewhere else. But yet the great apostle here is moved because he realizes that the truth of the only gospel must matter to us. The doctrines that they were believing in would cause great hindrance to the work of Christ among the Galatians. And he must step in. 
And he must point them to the Savior and to the true gospel again. They moved away. They moved away. And we read of a similar situation in the church in Antioch. In Acts chapter 5, uh, we read of certain men coming down from Judea who said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of, manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. And that led to the council of Jerusalem. And that led to uh, the decree that uh, the Gentiles could be saved. It led to rejoicing in the churches. The Word of God was their guide. And dear believer, this evening, the Scripture reminds us to buy the truth and sell it not. And if we know the only true gospel, and we believe the doctrines of the only true gospel, let us treasure the truth of the only true gospel. And let us believe it. Let us stand by it, because it is the only gospel. The only gospel. Paul was unashamed because he understood what this gospel is, the only way of salvation. The only way of salvation. Do you treasure the gospel tonight? When we think of protecting ourselves from false doctrine, do you believe it? But do you believe in the truth of it? Do you believe it is the only gospel? As Paul said to the church in Ephesians, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Through faith in Christ alone. And the doctrines and the truth of the gospel must matter to us. It must matter to us. We must concern ourselves with hearing the truth, with believing the truth, with standing for the truth. Is the truth of Christ precious to your soul? Is the truth of Christ precious to your soul? We saw a funeral service this week, and a while uh, there were things said in the sermon. There were lots of things not said in that sermon. They could have been said. The same thing happened with Prince Harry's wedding some uh, time ago. Again, there was a sermon preached, but very, well, nothing of the true gospel. Nothing. And dear believer, if the truth of the only gospel matters to you. You see this only gospel as the only way in which man can be saved. Does it grieve your heart when you hear men who claim to be of Christ ignore those truths completely? Neglect them, set them aside as if they don't even exist. And therefore, dear believer, if we believe in the truth of the only gospel, let us stand firm to it. Let us live it. Let us speak it. Let us preach it. Wherever God has placed us, whatever God has called us to do, let us not move away from it. There's a great danger in false teaching. Uh, there was a preacher in Wales called Christmas Evans. And the effects of what is known as uh, Sunday Manianism came to Wales. Uh, that's uh, quite the tongue twister. Uh, but there was a heresy came to Wales. That's easier to say. Dr. Alan Kearns described this heresy, this teaching, as an attempt to get back to primitive apostolic Christianity. And he said that one of its tenets insisted that saving faith is nothing more than an intellectual belief in the resurrection of Christ. 
It is said that this caused the falling away of hearers in Wales. It hindered the spiritual growth in churches and in a very short time destroyed good work that had happened over previous years. Evans himself said when he uh, turned away from this heresy that it affected him so much as to drive away the spirit of prayer for the salvation of sinners. He said that the lighter matters of the kingdom of God pressed heavier upon him than those more important matters. The power which gave him zeal and confidence and earnestness in the pulpit for the conversion of souls to Christ was lost. His heart sank within him. He lost the witness of a good conscience. He goes on to say how he lost out with communion with God and fellowship with God. He replied that to his conscience that he acted according to God's word. But yet he was still rebuked by his conscience. He said he lost the spirit of prayer. He lost the spirit of preaching. And after some time, he became free from it. Why do I say that? Because Paul says, Here I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into another gospel. So soon removed. Dear believer, we are to treasure the truth of the only gospel. Why? Because we can be so soon removed, quickly removed, quickly removed from the truth. We can rapidly fall into error. This man, a preacher of truth, it happened to him, it affected him greatly. And not just him, but because of who he was, it affected his congregation, it affected the nation, it affected pulpits and churches across that land and further afield. How easy it is. Let us not think. Let us not think that because we know the truth. Let us not think because we attend a church that has the Westminster Confession of Faith as its statement of doctrine that uses the authorized version of the Scriptures, that stands and separates from churches that preach a false gospel. Let us not say that being removed to another gospel will never happen. Let us never say that. This church originated, or this denomination originated in Northern Ireland because a denomination removed itself from the true gospel in many ways onto another gospel. That's our history. And that stands as a warning to us that the very same thing can happen and we can be so soon removed from the truth into error. There's a great warning, a great warning Dear believer this evening, take care for your soul. Take care for the true gospel. Believe it. Take it seriously. Immerse yourself in the Word of God to know that gospel. And then, thirdly, I want you to see that the preaching of the only gospel must be heard by us. The preaching of the only gospel must be heard by us. We I see something of this in verses 8 and 9. Paul says, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. 
As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. This was a wife speaking to a husband. The husband would say, you're repeating yourself. I heard you the first time. Paul repeats himself for good reason. I'm sure many wives do that as well, for good reason. But Paul is doing it here for the reason of the gospel. There's this error within the church, and he points out that if any man, any of you are preaching a gospel that is wrong, a gospel that is false, a gospel that is different from the gospel of Christ, that Christ gave to me and I gave to you, let him be accursed. And he repeats himself to drive home the seriousness of this. But in doing so, he speaks negatively. Let these men that preach different gospels be accursed. But we see something here, if we look at this in a positive light. If any man preaches the truth unto you, that gospel that you've received, let us reverse it. That gospel you've received from me and from the Lord, let him be blessed. There's to be this preaching of the Word. The implication is, the man who preaches the other gospel is to be accursed, You're to put, as it were, your fingers in your ears and not listen. But the man who preaches the true gospel is a man who will be the opposite of accursed, a man who is blessed, a man to whom we must listen to. Our receiving of God's Word is not inventing or manipulating or designing the truth. It is simply hearing it. God has given it to us in His Word. Our duty is to receive it, to hear it, to listen to it. Paul spoke to the church at Corinth, and he said, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how the Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Paul's message was very simple. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. A simple message. And again, here in Galatia, he would have preached that simple message. He says it in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins. And this is the truth that must be preached. And dear believer, if we are to guard ourselves against false doctrine, knowing that it can come in quickly, knowing that we can be taken away by it, knowing that men of experience, men who have stood in pulpits, men who have preached the Word, like Christmas Evans and others, have been taken in uh, by doctrines that are false and wrong. If we are to protect ourselves from such false gospels, we're to give an ear to the true gospel. We're to be taught the true gospel. We're to listen to the true gospel. We're to attend the preaching of the true gospel. And the Savior gives great warning regarding these things. He he says, take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed what ye hear. Matthew 24. Take heed. Take care. Listen carefully. One of the Puritans said, it is our duty to take heed how we hear. Another one said, take the most earnest heed that you let not slip what you have received. In other words, there's much more 
involved in simply hearing. You can hear something, but it's another thing to listen and to do it. And here those Puritans are saying, take heed, listen, and don't let that which you hear go in as we say one ear and out the other. Let it go in one ear and let it find a place inside to stay there, to stay there. We are to hear the preaching of the only gospel, and therefore that has great consequence for us. We're to place ourselves under preaching that is good for our souls. We're to place ourselves under the preaching of the only gospel. We're to place ourselves under the ministries of those who preach the true gospel of Christ. We're to serve and to labor and to fellowship in churches that stand for the true gospel of Christ, that preach the true gospel of Christ, that are unashamed of the true gospel of Christ. Dear unbeliever, this evening you're to place yourself under the hearing of the gospel, the true gospel, because only then you will hear those truths that will tell you of Christ, of your way to salvation, of being made wise, as Paul said to Timothy, to salvation, to salvation. Then I want you to see finally the influence of the only gospel must affect us. The influence of the only gospel must affect us. Not only are we to believe its truths, not only are we to uh, take that truth seriously, not only are we to place ourselves under the preaching of that truth, uh, but there is an influence of this gospel in our lives. There must be. If we are to protect ourselves against a false gospel removing us from the truth, then the only true gospel must affect us and influence us. It must change us. Is that not what the gospel does? We see that in salvation. Christ gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us. We've seen that in the life of Paul the Apostle how he was Saul of Tarsus, a wicked man, yet religious but wicked, and how the gospel changed him. We see the wise and foolish man in Matthew chapter 7, and how the foolish man built upon the sand, the wise man built upon the rock, and the Savior says the man who built upon the rock is like the one who builds upon his teachings, upon his gospel, upon his truth. The wise man who builds upon the rock, the rock of Christ. Tonight, are you building regarding salvation? Are you building on Christ? Do you treasure that gospel, that gospel that Paul is preaching about here? That gospel that he's pointing men and women to, because there is an urgency an urgency. The Word of God tells us not to boast about tomorrow. We don't know what a day brings forth. We were having a conversation this afternoon about people who died in church services. 
quite a serious conversation if we look at it like that. The preaching has went on. And one person passed into eternity. It happens. It happens. Death comes so suddenly. Death comes quickly and unexpectedly. Death can come anywhere, anytime, any place. And there's a great urgency to make sure that you're trusting not in a false gospel, not in yourself, in your works, whatever those works may be, but you're trusting in the only gospel of Christ, Christ's gospel, repenting of sin, believing in Christ alone. And then there is sanctification. The gospel of Christ influences us regarding sanctification, to walk in the Spirit, to not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There is this ongoing work of renewing us in the whole man after the image of God, enabling us to die more and more unto sin, to live unto righteousness helping us to discern the truth, to understand the truth, to live the truth, to preach the truth, to be an influencer in society for the truth through the sanctifying power of the Spirit of God. And then we have evangelism. And dear believer, the influence of the only gospel in our lives reminds us of the task of the church of Jesus Christ, namely that of evangelism to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. And that is the church's mandate. The church possesses the true gospel, and therefore we should desire to live it, to speak it, to spread it. What is the New Testament pattern for a church? We see that in Antioch. It's a prime example of that. There's teaching, there's instruction, there's evangelism, there's a vision for the lost who's going forth into the world through Paul and Barnabas with the gospel of Christ. We must have a belief in the gospel, a personal belief that men need this gospel, desire that the world would be filled with the disciples of Christ. And we may say the world is getting worse and worse. Sin abounds. Christians are becoming sparse. That does not change the great commission of going into the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. The end goal of that and what happens to the preaching of the word is God's business. But he has commanded us, he's commanded his church to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The world is getting worse and worse, but that should spur us on to reach others with the gospel of Christ. There's a teaching of those disciples, teaching them about the only gospel, instructing them in righteousness so that they will not be removed from the true gospel. And the Great Commission involves all of our points this evening, believing the doctrines, the truth mattering to us, the preaching of the word being heard, the influence of the word within our lives. All these things happen regarding the Great Commission. All these things take, should take place within our lives as we seek to live for Christ and to live for the gospel of Christ. And the great purpose of this then is to pass that message to the next person. As the relay runner is sprinting along the track, 
His goal may not be the end of the race. He's not doing the 100-meter sprint himself. He's not running, perhaps, to the end of that race. He's running to the end of his race. He's running to his teammate. He passes the baton to his teammate, and that uh, teammate then runs his race and passes the baton again until the end draws nigh. And dear believer, tonight, so it is with us. The purpose of your race in life may not to be to witness the end of this world, but rather to pass the baton of the only true gospel to your family, to your children, so that they will run that very same race with patience and strength and grace and knowledge and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe to the end of the world. Maybe to uh, their children to keep running that same race. And so the goal is very simple. We bring the true gospel. We instruct in that same gospel so that they will be protected against false doctrine. Dear believer, protect yourself against false doctrine with the Spirit's help. Treasure His Word. Place yourself under the preaching of that Word. Be willing through His Spirit to let His Word influence your life for the glorious cause of the gospel of Christ. May the Lord bless his word this evening for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank thee tonight for thy truth. We thank thee, Father, for the only true gospel. And we thank thee for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that gospel that saves, that gospel eh, that has power, that gospel that can save sinners this evening. And, O God, we cry to Thee that uh, Thou would bless Thy Word to our hearts, and may it bring forth fruit within our lives. May even this week we know Thy grace and Thy help to live for Thee, to live for Thee, to live a life that shows forth the only gospel. Father, we ask that Thou would be with us, bless our fellowship, and part us with Thy blessing. May the love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the sweet communion and fellowship of God the Holy Spirit rest, remain, and abide with us both now and forevermore. Amen.